Thank you, Wayne and Michael, for leading us in worship this morning. And thank you for uh, also Melody, too, uh, coming early and getting things set up. And thank you, Gene, for mowing the lawn uh, so we can be out here and not in the weeds. What an amazing and beautiful day to, to be outside to worship our Lord. And I would encourage you to open up your uh, either your uh, digital bulletin, or you can take, take some notes, or your Bible to Exodus chapter 15. Exodus chapter 15 is where we are at today. And so last week they crossed through the Red Sea, and God has freed the Israelites, finally and dramatically, from slavery. He's judged the Egyptians. He's left no doubt that he is truly the Lord. And now on the other side of the Red Sea, Moses and actually his sister is going to join in on this song. They, they lead the Israelites in worship because they can't contain themselves. There's really no words that are sufficient to express how they're feeling. Really only poetry, only song can be sufficient on an occasion like this. The ordinary language isn't enough to capture the drama and the intensity of that moment. Songs are meant to communicate as much as possible with using as few words as possible. And so today, as we look at this Song of Moses, uh, I want us to meditate on why we come together every Sunday and sing, while we worship together. And this song in particular, it, it looks back at what God has already done, what he's accomplished to redeem them. And then Moses praises the character of God that has been revealed in his redeeming work. And then finally, it looks ahead to what God will do. And if you think about it, is that not why we still sing today? We sing about what Christ has already accomplished on our behalf in the past and what he has revealed to us about himself in that redeeming work. And then we praise him as we dwell on the future hope that he has given us and the promises that we have to look forward to. And so my prayer this morning is that this song of Moses would be our song. And that we would celebrate that we actually have an even greater song this side of the cross. Let's pray together. Lord, do what only you can do. Help us to see this song is our song. Use your holy word to comfort our souls, to encourage our hearts, to strengthen our faith, and to ignite a, a passion in us for you that has a ripple effect, that pours out of us, and that the world would see. In Jesus' name, amen. So as we read through this passage, it's interesting, many scholars actually believe that this was, these are the first words that were actually written down in the book of Exodus. And so listen to the, the song of Moses, and we're going to walk through it slowly together. We're going to do a verse or a few verses at a time, and then I'm going to talk. And so keep your Bibles open. We're going to start in verse 1. Then Moses and the people of Israel sang this song to the Lord, saying, I will sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously the horses and his rider he has thrown into the sea now that phrase i will sing could also be translated as i must sing i can't help but sing my soul is crying out with praise why because the lord has triumphed gloriously and that that phrase triumph gloriously is just one word in the hebrew and it, it literally means to be lifted up the 
NIV translates it as he is highly exalted. And what Moses is doing right here is he's singing about how Yahweh has shown his superiority over all the other Egyptian gods. Which, by the way, the Egyptian gods back then were thought to be the most powerful gods in the world. And, and so Yahweh just disposes of them like they're gnats. And so Moses starts the song off by a, giving us a summary of what they've just experienced. That their enemy has been thrown or hurled into the sea. And next I want you to notice in verse 2 how many times Moses uses the word my. Verse 2, the Lord is my strength and my song. And he's become my salvation. This is my God and I will praise him. My Father's God and I will exalt in him. And so Yahweh is not simply a God to Moses. He's not simply the Lord to Moses. Moses proclaims, he is my strength, he is my song, he is the source of my power, my joy. He is the one that holds me up and carries me when I don't have the strength to walk on my own. He is the one that causes my lips to rejoice and to sing because he has become my salvation. We're going to sing a song in a few minutes. The Lord is my salvation. I cannot wait to sing that together. But he proclaims, this is my God, and I will praise him because I can't help but to praise him. This is my Father's God. I will exalt him because I come from a long line of worshipers, Moses is saying here. And I'm thankful. And actually, I pray that one day my grandkids and my great-grandkids will be able to sing that same song. And I'm thankful that I come from a long line of worshipers. I'm thankful that my grandma, who went to be with the Lord recently, was still singing in her dying days, Jesus loves me. Next in verse 3, Moses says this. He says, the Lord is a man of war. The Lord is his name. And so Moses has had a front row seat to see God's amazing power and glory as God has crushed the Egyptians. Moses has seen God fight for the Israelites. And he gives the Lord the name man of war. And God being a warrior for his people was and still is a vital doctrine for us to embrace. For the Israelites back then, they, they would face numerous empires, numerous enemies who were superior to them. They would face battles where the odds were almost always stacked against them. And so they needed to know that their God would fight for them. And so this song became a precious reminder of this reality, especially during seasons of war. And the theme of God being a warrior, it carries over in the New Testament. We don't often think about this, but Jesus is our divine warrior. He came preaching and repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And then what does he do? He shows a glimpse of his kingship, a glimpse of his power as he silences demons and diseases and chaotic waters with just the power of his word. Colossians 2, 15, on the cross, he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them, them in him. And then rising from the grave, he silences death itself. He ascended into heaven and is now seated at the right hand of, Father, of his father. Ephesians 1 says, far above all rule and authority and power and dominion and above every name that is named, not only in this age, but the age to come. And he put all things under his feet. That, that's warrior language. And we see it throughout the New Testament. One day, our divine warrior promises that he's going to come back. And how is he going to come back? 
not humbly, not born in a manger, but in the clouds. On the day of judgment, Revelation 19 describes it like this. Then I saw the heavens opened, and behold, a white horse. The one sitting on it is called Faithful and True, and in righteousness he judges and makes war. His eyes are like a flame of fire, and on his head are many diadems, and he has a name written that no one knows but himself. He is clothed in a robe, dripped in blood, and the name by which he is called is the Word of God. And the armies of heavens, arrayed in fine linen, white and pure, were following him on white horses. From the mouth, his mouth comes a sharp sword with which he, to strike down the nations, and he will rule them with a rod of iron. He will tread the winepress of the fury of the wrath of God and the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, he has the name written, King of Kings and Lord of Lords. Paul describes it this way in 1 Corinthians 15. Then the end comes when he delivers the kingdom of God the Father after destroying every rule. The, the Psalms are peppered with them. Let me just read a few of them to you. Psalm 1611. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Psalm 36, 7 and 8. For you have been my help. And in the shadow of your wings, I will sing for joy. My soul clings to you. Your right hand upholds me. Psalm 91. Oh, sing to the Lord a new song, for he has done marvelous things. His right hand and his holy arm have worked salvation for him. Psalm 138.7. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You stretch out your hand against the wrath of my enemies, and your right hand delivers me. Psalm 139, 7 through 10, last one. Where shall I go from your spirit? Or where shall I flee from your presence? If I ascend to heaven, you are there. If I make my bed in the shield, you are there. If I take my wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me and your right hand shall hold me. And I could read numerous more examples of this, but I want you to think about this. The Jews, when, in Jesus' day, those Jews would have been they would have had these psalms hidden in their heart, memorized many of them. And one day they would hear Jesus say, John 10, 27 and 30, My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. And no one shall snatch them out of my hands. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. I and the Father are one. In Christ, we can rest because we are in His hand, in His Father's hand. There is nothing that can snatch us out of His hands. Not sin, not even death itself. Now Moses continues to recall God's redeeming work. Look at verse 7. And the greatness of your majesty, you overthrow your adversaries, you send out your fury, it consumes them like stubble. At the blast of your nostrils, the waters piled up, the flood stood up in a heap, the deep congealed in the heart of the sea. The enemy said, I will pursue, I will overtake, I will divide my, the spoils, my desire shall have its fill of them, I will draw my sword, my hand shall destroy them. <laughs> You blew with your wind, and the sea covered them. They sank like lead in the mighty waters. 
Who is like you, O Lord, among the gods? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glorious deeds, doing wonders? You stretched out your right hand, the earth swallowed them. Of course, these are rhetorical questions, right? There's no one like our God. There's no angels, there's no demons, there's no powers, there's no principalities, not even Satan is like Yahweh. They don't compare. God's right hand is again mentioned here, and again, Moses uses the phrase here, the earth swallowed them. And if you recall, this is the same language that was used back in chapter 4 when the staff of Aaron turns into a snake and swallows up the staffs of the Egyptian magicians, giving them a foretaste of what was to come. But it's also the same language used in 1 Corinthians 15. And Paul's talking about the resurrection and Christ's return, and he says, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? Oh, death, where is your sting? And so death has met its match. The sting of death, of course, is sin, and sin was nailed to the cross. We need to be reminded of that often, because we have amazing reasons to sing together. And it gets even better than that. Next, back in our psalm, verse 13, Moses notices, and I want you to notice how he uses past tense here to describe things that have not yet happened. I think that's significant. Verse 13, you have led your or in your steadfast love the people whom you have redeemed. You have guided them by your strength to your holy abode. The people have heard, they trembled, pangs have seized the inhabitants of Philistine. Now are the chiefs of Edom dismayed. Trembling seizes the leaders of Moab. All the inhabitants of Canaan have melted away. Terror and dread fall upon them because of the greatness of your arm. They are still as a stone till your people, O Lord, pass by, till the people pass by whom you have purchased. I love this. I mean, Moses is so confident in God's faithfulness to fight for Israel that he describes these events as if they have already happened, even though they will happen in the future. It, it, it's kind of it's it's similar to like when uh, UK plays U of L in football this season and they're up. UK is up by like 50 points going into going into halftime, and they put in all their scrubs, and they start talking about how they've already won the game, even though it hasn't quite technically happened. Um, and I know I'm offending some of you, but I'm making a point here. That's the arrogance that Moses has here. I'm not even a UK fan. I really doesn't matter to me. But that's the arrogance that you that, that you see here in Moses because he's so confident of what God will do. But what I really want you to notice about this passage, I want you to look back at verse 13 and look at the motivation. Look at the source of, of God's redeeming word. It says steadfast love. And that word in the Hebrew is fascinating. It's it's, the word is hesed. Okay? I want you to say that. I want you to learn that Hebrew word, hesed. I don't know how it was originally pronounced. I mean, I can't make my H's sound like theirs. But hesed is the word that we translate here, and it's translated steadfast love. And it's really fascinating to me because the translators don't know how to deal with this word. In fact, if you look up different translations of the Bible for this verse, they're all over the place. The NASB translates it as loving kindness. The NIV translates it as unfailing love. The CSB translates it as faithful love. KJV, it's mercy. The N-A-E-T is loyal love. The message translates it as merciful love. The N-C-V, which is what they use in a lot of children's Bibles, translates it as loving promise. 
So, so Hesed is God's unfailing, covenantial love towards his people. And it's hard for us to wrap our minds around it because it's so incomparable. The word Hesed is used around 250 times in the Old Testament, though. One of my favorite places that it occurs is actually later on in the book of Exodus, and we'll get there eventually, but it's Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. The Lord passed before him, passed before Moses, and proclaimed, The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast hesed, or love and faithfulness. And what's remarkable about that passage is this occurs right after the Israelites have just really commit, committed treason against God and worshiped the golden calf. And in the midst of that, God is reminding Moses of his character, of his hesed. I'll give you another one. In, in Lamentations, the author of Lamentations describes God, and he says his hesed or his steadfast love of the Lord it never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness, which is amazing again because that comes in the book of Lamentations. This is lament. This is written at a time where Jerusalem is being destroyed because God is judging them in their wickedness. The writer goes on to say, if the people turn back to him, the Lord will not cast them off forever. He will have compassion according to the abundance of his hesed, his steadfast love. Another example, uh, a few weeks ago, we read together Psalm 136 as a call and response. And I love Psalm 136 because it's 26 verses declaring who God is and what he's done from creation all the way to redemption. And at the end of every single verse, 26 times, we repeat over and over, his hesed endures forever. His steadfast love endures forever. Jesus went to the cross because of his hesed. His loyalty to his people, his steadfast love and mercy towards them, towards us, was so unshakable that he endured the worst, the very worst that humanity could throw at him so that we could be robed with his perfect hesed and credited with it as if we had lived out his perfect life of hesed ourselves. And because of Christ's hesed, our hope that God will love us to the uttermost and forever, it's not founded on our ability to keep his commandments, but rather it's founded on God's ability to just keep being God. So if you've trusted in Christ alone and you've turned from your sins and to faith in him, then you can be sure that the Lord's goodness and his hesed will follow you all the days of your life and you shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Do we not have amazing reasons to sing this morning? This brings us to the end of the passage. Moses ends his song with the hope of the Israelites being planted on God's holy mountain, where they're going to enjoy sanctuary. They're going to enjoy a place of security, of joy, of worship, and rest. Verse 17, you will, you will bring them in and plant them on your own mountain. I love how he uses the word plant there. I'm not just going to set you there. I'm going to plant you there. The place of the Lord, which you have made for your abode, the sanctuary of the Lord, which your hands have established, the Lord will reign forever 
and ever. And then we move into verses 19 and 20, and this is no longer poetry. This is not a song anymore. This is just narrative. Moses here again just kind of summarizes why they have been singing, and this is this is what's remarkable, I think. You see the ripple effect of worship, because that's what worship does. Worship cannot be contained. It pours out of us and has an impact on the people around us. And so what we see here is his sister, Miriam, can't contain herself, and she leads the women in celebration. Brings out the tambourines. Verse 19, for when the horses of Pharaoh with his chariots and his horsemen went into the sea, the Lord brought back the waters of the sea upon them, but the people of Israel walked on dry land, ground in the midst of the sea. And then Miriam, the prophetess, the sister of Aaron, which is the brother of Moses, right, took a tambourine in her hand, and all the women went out after her with tambourines and dancing, and Miriam sang to them, sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously. The horses and his rider he has thrown into the sea. And notice that's just the first line of the Song of Moses, right? And, and many scholars believe that she probably sang the whole song, but Moses just recorded the first line of it here, not to repeat himself fully over again. But the point is that her song echoed the praises, amplified the worship. The song was meant to be sung well beyond the life of Moses to be an encouragement to the Israelites and ultimately to us today. And, and my prayer that this song would be our song, that we would see this story as part of our story and that it would strengthen our faith and our hope. And, and I pray that we would long for the day that enjoy we would, as, as Revelation describes it, we would sing this same song with all the saints and all the angels in heaven around the throne, but it won't just be this song, will it? It'll be the song of Moses, and it will be the song of the Lamb, as Revelation describes. And Jesus will be the one on the throne receiving our accolades because he has triumphed gloriously. And he has thrown our greatest enemies into the sea because Jesus, our divine warrior, has triumphed gloriously, and we are in his hands. And because of his chesed, we are secure. And he will never let us go. Let's pray. Father, your word is so amazing. We have so many good reasons to sing together this morning. Thank you for allowing us to gather together. It is so precious to gather together to sing your praises and we look forward to the day where there will be no more fear, that there will be no more sin, that there will be no more tears, that there will be no more disease and we will gather together to praise our glorious warrior King Jesus, the Lord of Lords and the King of Kings. In Jesus' name. Amen. So as we move into a time of celebration and remembering what Christ has done through us or for us on the cross, we're going to celebrate communion together. And the elements are over here. If you haven't got a chance to grab the elements, go ahead and do that at this point. And just be reminded that this juice represents so much more than juice. Remember, it, it represents the blood that was shed for us. 
by our warrior king, our divine warrior Jesus. And the bread represents his body given to us so that we could be in his hand forevermore because of his hesitation. So we're going to celebrate together. Uh, you can give online, or there is a, there's a box over there to give. If you're a visitor with us, don't feel obligated. And you can also give online, of course. After everybody's had a chance to take communion, we're going to stand together and continue to, to worship our great God. And here in a minute, after this next song, we're going we're we're to sing about the Lord being our salvation. And I, I pray that the, the whole city of Shepherdsville would hear us sing. If you need prayer, I'll be over here at the tent. Come as God is calling yourself.